The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We're jumping into our question series again. We're in the middle of a series, and we've taken questions from you, our body. Um, and we took the 10 most popular, and we're just kind of walking through those this summer. I thought Dave Tate, if you're here last week, did an amazing job talking about a hard subject. How can a loving God send people to hell? If you see Dave, let him know how much you appreciate him. Today, we're in Acts chapter 17. We're in Acts chapter 17. Dave had to follow Dan Wallace and talk about hell, and I get to talk to you about sharing Jesus and our culture, so I'm really grateful for how Gary lined that up for us. We're in Acts 17. How do we share our faith in today's culture? And the answer, beginning and end, is early and often. We've got this amazing story of Jesus, God's Son, risen from the dead, and we are the messengers. So I want to ask why this question matters. How do we share our faith in today's culture? Well, it matters for lots of reasons. Just a couple is one is that evangelism or sharing our faith is the first step in the discipleship process. And as Gary reminded us when he was talking with our Estonia team, we're called to make disciples. We're called to be witnesses. It matters because of that. It matters because that's a command we've been given. And then it matters, I think, because there's a discussion that rises up ever so often. It goes on over and over and over through the centuries. And it's, it's this, should the church really be about evangelism or justice? Should the church be about talking to people about Jesus, or should the church be about doing good deeds, caring for the poor, doing orphan care, adopting, caring for the vulnerable, serving at pregnancy centers? Which of those should the church be about? And that's, that's kind of like asking, does a dime have a side that's head or a side that's tails? Does a car have an engine or a windshield? Do you want to eat Tex-Mex or barbecue? And the answer is obviously yes, right? See, we are God's people and we're to be about both. However, Andy, Andy Crouch, Christian author, says this, that evangelism and caring for those in need serve one another. They're both means to essential biblical ends born from biblical themes. He says, however, my concern is this. I do not often meet Christians so passionate about evangelism that they question the need for justice. I'm much more likely to meet Christians so passionate about justice that they question the need for evangelism. That's kind of how the pendulum has swung in our culture. And you guys have heard this statement. It's a popular statement. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Let me politely say that is a terrible, terrible statement. Hope nobody has that t-shirt on this morning. And here's why. The, the gist, the idea behind it is great. I get that idea. Demonstrate the gospel with your life. Amen, yes. And if necessary, use words. Well, guess what? It's necessary. The gospel is news. And it's news about Jesus that we ought to understand. We've got to be excited about letting people know. This is good news. So if we haven't been sharing... We've really got to repent and say, I've got people around me that need to know Christ and I need to share. So let's look how Paul did this in pre-Christian Athens and maybe we can see how we can do it in post-Christian Texas. So Acts 17, 16. 
While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, he's waiting for Silas and Timothy. They were in Thessalonica, and they got beat up and kicked out of town. Then they went to Berea, where there were some more noble people, but then they got run off from Berea. And Paul heads to Athens, and he's waiting for Silas and Timothy. And it says, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. And then look at verse 17. It says, So he got his friends and hid in a compound and never talked to anyone else that was not a Christian. Is that what your verse 17 says? No. He was provoked that the city was full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, people were there, they heard it, and they said, we want to we hear more about this. We want to talk with you. Epicureans, they were pleasure lovers. Stoics, they were very moral and kind of thought the absence of pleasure would bring value to life. So Paul went to them, or went with them to the Areopagus. That's this, the Romans called it Mars Hill, this place where people would gather and argue. He said, men of Athens, I perceive in every way you're very religious. Verse 22. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also this inscription, to the unknown God and what therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything else. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to dwell on the earth, having determined the times and places they would live so that they would seek him in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. But he is not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. God, we thank you for Paul and the example that he gives as he goes to reason and share his faith. God, help us to learn from the Scripture that we might do the same thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you might be just like Paul. You might, might in our culture, look and see a city full of idols. Now, they're they're not made of stone or wood or gold. But we're in a very religious culture. There are people worshiping everything but God. People worship sex. They worship money. They worship power. They worship maybe a car they want or a car they have, a house they have or a house they can't have. Or maybe it's a vacation they just went on or a vacation they can't go on. People worship all kinds of things. We see evil being called good in our society today, and it provokes us. It's because people are worshiping idols. Well, what do you do when provoked by idols? Paul, when he was provoked by idols, he was compelled by love. When Paul was provoked by idolatry, still he was compelled by love. He saw a city full of idols, and it stirred him up as it should, because there's God being robbed of glory throughout all of Athens. So what did Paul do? He went to the place where he knew people would be talking about God. He went to the synagogue. He talked to the God-fearing Gentiles, the Jews that were there. But then he went to the marketplace and he shared because he was compelled by the love of Christ. He's provoked in his spirit. He's provoked in his spirit. So he reasoned with them. Now make no mistake about it. Paul hated idols. He hated this idea that God would not be worshipped. If you don't think he hated idols... You just write down in your notes, Romans 1, Romans 1, 18 through 32. And you'll see, Paul, 
is not a fan of idolatry. But he's so stirred by this. And he's got this great story of the mercy of Jesus in his own life that he has got to tell it. He's got to tell it. How do you respond when you're provoked by idols? What do you do when you see evil in our culture? Maybe you hear people speaking about evil in the workplace. Maybe you hear it in a circle of friends. Well, let me tell you what Catherine did. Catherine is a college student at TBC. She's worked with Shannon in Sea Life. This, this last year, she came to this discipleship group my wife and I do for college students interested in missions. In the spring semester, we started reading a little red book called Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus. And as we started reading this book together, these students really got stirred and they began to share their faith and look at their friends. And Catherine specifically began to share with friends from other cultures who did not know Christ and maybe even hadn't heard the story of Christ. And she began to love them and serve them and see how she could connect with them. And as the semester moved toward its end and they got near Easter pageant, they do on UMHB's campus. If you haven't been there, you ought to go see it next Easter. She sent about three days before Easter pageant, to all these friends, hey, would you read this passage of Scripture? It, it'll help you know what the pageant's about. It tells the story. Would you just look at it and be thinking about it? So her friends, amazingly enough, did. And then her phone just started blowing up that Thursday evening. And so then I got a text from her that Thursday. It was Monday Thursday. We had a service up here, and she said, can I talk to you and Laura after Thursday service? And so we said, yeah, and she's just here literally weeping because five of her friends from Hindu and Muslim cultures said, I'm just amazed by this, and I've got to know more about Jesus. One of those young ladies, she's got a couple of other ladies, and they've been reading the Scripture together, walking through what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I believe this young woman's very close to knowing Christ. And I just wonder if there's somebody you work with. Is there somebody in your home? Is there somebody in your circle of friends that you might be crazy enough to say, hey, I just wonder if I could share with you about what Christ is doing in my life. Would you be interested in reading the Gospel of Mark together? We just get together once a week, read a chapter, and talk about it. And they might, crazy enough, they might actually say, yeah, I wonder what it would look like if that happened with hundreds of people in this room this hour, hundreds in this room last hour. What would Central Texas look like if we got excited like Paul and like Catherine did? See, Paul was provoked by idols, and then he got compelled by love. The second thing Paul did is he understood the language of his culture. He understood the language of his culture. When Paul was in the synagogue, he could suppose that everybody there just about had heard the story of the God of Israel. Even the God-fearing Gentiles, because they were there. But when he stepped into the marketplace, he had to learn to speak a different language language. He's talking to Epicureans. He's talking to Stoics. We've got to think about sharing the gospel just like our workers that we send overseas do. We've got two young couples that by the grace of God, had just, they've just finished two years of language school on the Arabian Peninsula. They spent two years of their life learning one of the most difficult languages on the planet to learn so that they can share the gospel there. Well, if we're going to share the gospel in our culture, we've just got to learn the language as well. We've got to learn the language as well. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean, learn the language? There was a time 
in America where you could walk up to somebody if you wanted to talk to them about Jesus and you could just say, hey, are you saved? And they'd know exactly what you're talking about. You walk up to somebody today and say, are you saved? They're going to look at you and go, from what? Like, is there something wrong? Should I be nervous? There was a time when you could ask someone, I had it asked to me as a teenager many times before I knew Christ, and every time someone asked it, I knew what they were talking about and it mattered. Hey, if you, if you were to die, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And you start a conversation off like that with somebody you don't know right now, they might, they might say, well, who, who cares? Or, or they might go, well, how do you even know there's eternity? You just got to know the language of your culture. And does that take effort? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes. You might, you might be a millennial who wants to share the gospel with old folks and you don't speak old folk. You might be an old folk that doesn't, doesn't speak millennial. But it's worth investing time in loving people. See, there's a danger, I think, that we face. We can look at culture and be so bothered by it. We can lament so much about a culture that no longer exists that we fail to share the gospel in the culture that does exist. And the scripture we just read says, God put us in the times and places that he would have us so that we would seek him, so that we would reach out for him. He's put our friends that don't know him in this time, in this place, so that we can be the people who share the gospel with them. See, Paul, he knew this story was so great that he said, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in the blessing. So to the Jews, I become like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I become like a Gentile. I'll become all things to all people. If I don't like sports, but my friend who needs to know Jesus likes sports, I'll get to know sports. For me, it would be even soccer or hockey. I would actually, I'd have to do that. I could do that. And maybe i got a friend who likes music, and I don't much like music, but I'll listen to music so we can talk about it and engage in the gospel. I'll become all things to all people. Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. For those who are being saved, I'll do whatever I have to do. Then he said this about his, Roman, or about his brothers in Romans 9, his brothers according to the flesh. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. This is an amazing statement. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. That's what he feels about his brothers who don't know Christ. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Do you hear what he's saying? I'd be separated from Christ if it meant they would be saved. Can you imagine that? I'd be separated from Christ if it meant that they'd be saved. That's a little different. That's a little different than, man, I could share with my friend, but there's this ball game on and I really want to watch it. He's got this amazing story to tell and he says, Jesus is so wonderful that I'd be separated from him. I love my brother so much if they could know him. And then he says this, he's meeting with these elders from Ephesus. He's about to go away from them, he'll never see them again. He says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
but I do not account my life as any value or precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to do what? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See, Paul, he knows the language of his culture. How do we know he knows it? Because he quotes their philosophers. In verse 28 of Acts 17, he says, In him we live and move and have our being. That's a quote from an Epicurean philosopher. Then he goes on and says, Even some of your own poets have said, For we are indeed his offspring. He learns a language compelled by love so he can share the gospel with his friends. Listen, you, you, might, you might be here and you might not be a believer and maybe even a friend invited you or maybe you've got friends who are believers. Maybe you're not following Jesus yet and they've not shared with you. And I, I got to say, if you're here and you're kind of peering over the fence, what is Christianity all about? On, on behalf of all of us, let me just apologize and say sometimes we can get so passionate about things that are of lesser value than Jesus. And we don't even realize we're doing it. I can be more passionate about Texas Longhorn football and catching little green fish only to throw them back in the water wishing they were big green fish. I can get more passionate about that than Jesus Christ sometimes. That's just crazy. That's just crazy. We can be more passionate about shopping and shoes. We can be more passionate about cars and houses and places to go and gun rights and all kinds of things than we are about Jesus Christ and His glory, His saving power being known in our city. And that's, that's a shame. It's a shame because we've got this amazing story to tell. And Paul just tells it. How does, how does he tell the story in a pagan culture? Well, he really, he actually just starts at the beginning and he points to the power and character of God. Paul said, men of Athens, I perceive that you're religious in every way. And he's talking to them about their idols. And he says, let me proclaim to you what I know. The God who made the world and everything in it. That's really just Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth who is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made by man. He's not served by human hands. There's this God I want to tell you about that's different than any of your idols. And by the way, this God picked the time and place that you would live. He put you on this planet so you might know how amazing and how wonderful He is. He's not far from you. In fact, He's given you life and breath and in Him we all live and move and we have our being and by the way, he's fixed a man through whom he'll judge the world. And he's proved it by raising him up from the dead. Now people hear that and, and they go, wait, that, that's, not, that's not good. Judge. We don't want to talk about judgment, but actually that is good. And I'm going to tell you why that's a good part of the story. I'm going to tell you why that's a good part of the story. In fact, here's the reality of it. The Christian story makes far better sense of how the world has come to be and where it's headed than any competitor, ancient or modern. Listen to that again. This story of the God who made the world an initiated relationship and engaged in relationship with us, it makes more sense or far better sense of how the world has come to be and where it's headed than any competitor ancient or modern. See, he initiates relationship with a man and woman he creates. He engages them, though they fall away. 
Humanity fouls up all kinds of things, and we're good at that. We are good at brokenness. And God's good at new creation. And this first act of new creation is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead, and a lot of people saw Him. So He's going to come and judge the world. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that all the injustice and all the abused children and all the disease and all the criminal acts and all the unfaithfulness, including your sins and mine, He took all of them on Himself on the cross and He overcame every bit of it through His resurrection and He will right every wrong when He returns. See, Dave Tate said it well last week. The cross was His first solution And Christ is coming back with a final solution, just as sure as He rose from the dead. And a lot of people saw Him. He is coming again, and the world will see Him. See, the story that we're in is the story of a God who's doing something about it. You look at this world, broken and marred, and our God is doing something about it. See, atheism can't compare with this story. Atheism offers no sense of final justice or recompense for all that's wrong in the world. Islam offers no sense of final justice or recompense for all that's wrong in the world. Radical Islam does, but you don't want the solution they're offering. Hinduism, they got nothing. Buddhism, nothing. New Age spirituality, nothing. Deepak Chopra, who likes to use the word quantum a lot, though he doesn't know a lot about physics, he's got nothing. But the God who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord of heaven and earth, he's not far from you and he wants you to seek him. Now, if that's not a story to tell, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. Well, well, what happened? Paul just lays out the truth of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And it says, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we'll hear you again. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. See, Paul pointed faithfully to Christ, and some believed. How do we share our faith in this culture? You do it early and often, and you point people to Jesus, and and guess what? Some will believe. God's drawing people to Himself in our city. You've got friends that He's been preparing their hearts, and I can tell you, Gary, DeSalvo, myself, any other pastor on this staff, there's nothing we would love more than to be bombarded with emails that say, would you pray for this friend as I share the gospel this week? And then more emails that say, hey, would you pray for this friend? Because you, you're not going to believe it. I shared the gospel and they actually, they, they trusted Christ. Nothing would make our week more than that. So what do we do? What's our application? First, when provoked by idolatry, Don't withdraw, don't circle the wagons, don't live in fear, be compelled by love. Be compelled by love enough to tell this great story. Second, know the language of our culture, know what people are thinking about and talking about and find a bridge to the gospel and point them to Jesus. Number three, give give people a reason to, 
to ask about the Jesus you follow by the life you're living in front of them. Give people a reason to ask about the Jesus you follow by the life you're living in front of them. I got a friend that is part of our body. I won't tell you his name. His initials are Will White, and he's an optometrist. He's got a very busy life. He and his wife have three daughters. They're in a small group doing some leading there. He disciples men, his wife's discipling ladies. And they've got friends, neighbors that are close to them that don't know Christ. And they've been sharing Christ some, and so much so that at a birthday party, the neighbor uh, asked Will, because he was there, he said, Will prays a lot. Will, would you pray for our food? The neighbor then got deployed, and Will said, hey man, while you're deployed, I'll mow your grass while you're gone. I'll just take care of your lawn. The guy says, man, you're busy. You don't have time to do that. He said, no, I, I do. God wants me to mow your lawn so you'll know that I love you. Well, you think this neighbor, you think this neighbor might listen to Will talk about Jesus. You think he might? Let me tell you another story. I ain't telling negative stories except when they're true. So my, my daughter and I were part of a state function a couple of years ago. And as part of this state function, the people who were living in this particular ceremony had to be there a day before and walk through a practice of it. And there was a person coordinating it. And the person's there coordinating it. And, and frankly, for the hour-long time of practice was just rude to everybody there. Just, just mean. Just mean. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm being too subtle for you. This person was really, really mean. And at the end of that practice, they said, I just want to tell you one more thing. And they took five minutes and laid out one of the most eloquent presentations of the gospel. Now, we had a family friend there, not a believer, rebels, far from Christ, but has said, yeah, if I ever understand this story to be true, I'd absolutely follow. And I just leaned over to my daughter and I said, do you think anybody wants to know the Jesus that this person's following? Probably not. Probably not. And I just said, look, they're probably having a bad day. You and I have bad days. We've got to give grace for that. But just know when we are interacting with people, our love level matters as much as the language we're speaking. So give people a reason to ask. Give them a reason to ask about the Jesus you follow. Number four, focus on people you have regular contact with. Most of you and me, we're not going to be like Paul where we're in Thessalonica for a little while and then we're in Berea and then Paul spent the winter in Athens and A.D. 49 and 50. Maybe you are the sort of person that gets to winter somewhere, but most of us don't, right? And then he went on to Corinth after that. So focus on people that you know. Share the gospel with people that you, you know, but then never be afraid to talk about King Jesus. It's a story worth telling. And finally, make disciples. Go and, and make disciples and rejoice as God draws people to himself. Now, I've got to tell you, as we're talking about this story of Jesus, some of you are in this room and you don't know Him. You've not experienced His forgiveness. You've not become part of His body. So here's what I want to tell you. you. You can do that today if you'd like to do that. You can do that right now if you'd like to do that. And it's very simply, I'm, I'm going to pray for us, but I want to tell you how, just as we bow, what it looks like to begin following Jesus, that you would really, in your heart of hearts, 
amazed by the fact that there's a God who made the world and who made you and who's given you life and breath and a heartbeat right now who loved you and me enough to send His Son to take the punishment for our sins and He rose from the dead. You can trust Him right now really just by, by confessing to Him in your heart. I want to know You, Jesus. I want to experience forgiveness for all the wrong that I've done. And I want to be part of this story. I want to be part of your people. I want to follow you. Maybe some of you have confessed that very thing right now. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us to be dismissed. And I'm going to be up front, and I'd love to visit with you about that. But also, if you're kind of toward the back, or you just want to step out, right across the hall to your right, there's a place called the Welcome Center. And there's a guy named Jeff and a lady named Amber in there that are amazing people. They'd love to visit with you as well. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to become part of the body of Christ and follow Jesus. We'd love to help you along the way as you begin doing that. So let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing story that's, that's not just a story, it's true that you, the God who made the world and everything in it, that you've set the times and places that we'd live, you put us in this place so that we might have the privilege of seeking you and knowing you. You're not far from us. You've come near in Christ who gave himself up for us. And God, we thank you for his resurrection. That means we get to walk in a new life on this planet, but it also means that when our life on this planet's over, that we get to go and be with you and him forever. But now we've got work to do. And so God, our work is to share the gospel and life with the friends you put around us. So God, I pray for men and women in this room who right now know there's somebody in their workplace they need to share Christ with. There's somebody in their neighborhood. Maybe there's somebody in their in their home. Maybe it's a relative who lives far away. God, soften those hearts and, and give us words and boldness and love to tell this amazing story of Jesus who's risen and who's coming and who will set all things right. God, for those this morning that are saying, you know, I want to trust Christ. I want to follow Him. God, Give them boldness to take that next step. Come visit with me. Go visit with Jeff and Amber. To tell one of their friends that they're sitting by maybe. I want to follow Jesus. Lord, you have your way with us, God. And, and grow the body of Christ in this, in this city through new believers. As your people go out and faithfully share the gospel. God, we love you. We thank you, God, that somebody told us. And we thank you for the privilege we have now to go and tell. In Jesus' name, amen.